I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in, and I'm just going to, here's kind of the format before we, before we pray of today. Um, this is actually a part two. I did the first week of this about four weeks ago, and so I'm going to uh, do a little review of First John for all of us, um, do a little review of last, last time whenever we were doing these verses, and then do today's, and then just a little great, I think, um, practical application, and I, I say it's great not because I wrote it, because somebody else wrote it, and I'm going to share it with you, um, a little practical application on what this means today for us. So let me pray. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for an opportunity that you've given me to be able to stand here and preach your word, and God, I, I, I pray that you would help me speak accurately and truthfully, um, that I would, would not take this opportunity lightly, but God, because there's souls at stake, because my soul and everyone's soul here is at stake, that we need to hear from you and your word, that I would preach accurately the word, and that you would use your word as you've promised us to train us in righteousness, to convict us where there's sin, to show us where we need to grow. And, and Lord, for some here today who might not know you, you would use your word to regenerate their hearts, to make them be born again, and that they would see the beauty of Christ in the gospel, and that they would want Christ and that they would put their faith in Him this morning for their salvation. Lord, thank You for Christ who has died for us, who has been put forward by You to be the propitiation, to be the, the wrath-bearer for us on our behalf. So Lord, we pray, for, uh, we pray for this time as we open up Your Word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so the book of 1 John was written by the Apostle John, one of the twelve disciples. He was the only one that didn't get killed. Um, all of them got put to death for their faith. He's the only one that got to live his entire life. He wrote the Gospel of John, and he also wrote, wrote this letter, um, First John. He also wrote, obviously, Second and Third John. Um, and the idea behind this, behind this book, um, the reason why he wrote it, and he actually tells us in chapter 5, um, very, very awesome that he would do this for us. In 5.13, um, just a review for everyone, 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So this is a pastor writing to Christians. This is a, a letter written directly to Christians, of course, for the benefit of those who aren't believers, but um, directly written to Christians so that they would hear some things and be able to be changed. And he tells us in 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So there's these Christians at the time who were kind of struggling with assurance. They were wondering, am I saved? Am I not saved? I'm not sure if I'm saved. I struggle. I go back and forth. And I really would like to have some concrete evidence going on in my life to let me know that I'm a Christian, to let me know that I'm definitely in the faith. Now, here's the thing. For those of you that are believers um, and have been a, a Christian for a while, a, a danger could be here that you would say, I've been a Christian for a long time, I'm in the faith, I got this down, so I'm just going to you know, kind of halfway listen, pray for somebody that could hear this. And th the message today of, of assurance of salvation is one not just for the new believer or the, the non-Christian that can become one. This is one who's been a seasoned Christian for their entire life someone who's been a Christian for a while, because if we're honest, if we're all honest here, we all have times where we start thinking, man, there's things going on in my life that I just don't know. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I'm doubting um, my salvation because of, of patterns of life or things that are going on. And so I want to, for those of you that have those times, um, give you some things that you can hang your hat on, um, some handles that you can come back to and remember whenever those seasons hit you, because this might not be a season right now for it, but it might be. 
And so I want you to um, mark these texts in your mind so that you can know, okay, um, these are things that I need to know whenever those kinds of periods happen in my life because it happens to all of us. I mean, this is John writing to Christians who are struggling with it. Um, and so here's kind of the, 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 the way the, the book works. John wants us to know that we're saved, wants us to know that we're in the faith. And what he does in the very fat kind of first part of the book, he gives us three tests that we can know whether we're in the faith. The first one is righteousness. Um, if there is a a pervasiveness of sin in your life, and there isn't a pursuit of righteousness, then that can help you know, maybe I'm not a Christian if I just seek after sin totally, totally. The other one is love. If there's not a, a, a deep love of other people in your life, if you don't seem to have this care for other people, and all you want to do is kind of live for yourself, well, that's evidence as well. And the last one is truth. And what he's saying is there are some things you need to know about Jesus. Like the, there's... This word doctrine, and sometimes we, we don't like that word, but there are some things you need to know. And so he talks about those things kind of in the first half of the book, and he, and he explains what they mean. And in the second half of the book, what he's going to do is explain those things, but he's going to draw a dichotomy between the two. Righteousness, and that just means kind of the opposite. Righteousness versus unrighteousness, and he explains those things. And the next one is truth versus um, truth versus wrong information, or however you want to say it. And the last one is love versus hate. So that's where he is, and that's what he's doing. Um, but where we are now is at a, at a place where he's going to kind of stop right there, and he's just given us a little bit of understanding about what it means to be in the faith and what it, that we can have assurance. Um, if you look in chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, he just talked about love and love versus hate and, and how we should have love in our life and what that looks like. And if you look over in chapter 4, um, verses 1 through 6, um, this is test the spirits, and this is that, that test of truth, um, whether something is true or whether something's false. And what we're, where we are today is this 19 through 24. Um, and this is kind of in the middle of that where he's just trying to give us some assurance and giving us some evidence or letting us know how we can reassure our heart and what, what are some things we can do to reassure our heart whenever we have these things happen in our life. Um, so... What I want to do here is just kind of review last time really fast, and then we're going to go into what would be the new material. Uh, there's some things that we can have happen in our life that can cause um, doubt. There's some things that can happen in our life that can cause doubt in Christ, or doubt whether we know we're in Christ. Um, and I, I gave these last time, so I'm going to go through, down through them really fast. The first one is um, that we have a, a, a manner of disposition. We have in our life um, times that are far more melancholy than other people. Some people are just rejoicing always. They're always happy. But for some people, God hasn't granted to them that, and they seem to be um, much more introspective, much more uh, melancholy than other people. And those kinds of things, if they have this constant down all the time, that can also cause in them a, a thought, I don't even know if I'm saved, because I see scriptures where they say, you know, that we're supposed to have joy all the time. There's rejoicing, and Man, I just don't know because I always seem to be down. I'm introspective. I know my sin so deeply that it, it troubles me. That's one of the things that can cause us to, to maybe know whether we need this assurance. The next one is health, um, how a person actually feels. If someone has something that's terminal, a terminal sickness like cancer or whatever, sometimes they can think, God has given me this and he's against me. He's, he's not for me. He's, he's upset at me. And because I have this, he's against me. The next one is sin. There can be a specific sin in your life 
where you're willingly choosing to do things. You're willingly choosing. That's a sin. It really entices me, and I'm going after it. And if you have just a continual um, process of this in your life, you're continually doing that, well, then you can say, you know, there seems to be such a pattern of willful sin in my life. I just don't know how I can continually choose to do this as a Christian. Um, and the last one is circumstances. And this is, um, this is a little bit different than health. Um, health is, you know, that you have something terminal like cancer or um, severe headaches or someone in our church has severe headaches and he's had it for a long time. This one is circumstances. This is kind of sin, not that you've done, but that's been done to you. It just seems like life is against you. You've had sin happen to you. You were abused. Um, your, your parents got divorced. Whatever. There's these serious things kind of keep following you around and you just despair. And you're like, is this true? How can this keep happening? God must be against me. I must not be saved. And so these kind of things happen. And what we talked about is if you need reassurance, um, we can go to his word. So let's, let's look at the text here. I'm going to read it all the way through and then we'll, we'll look at some of the things. All right, look at verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. So we can know that we're of the truth and we can have reassurance. As a matter of fact, he tells us we can reassure our hearts before him. Give ourselves assurance of salvation. Um, which comes from God. Verse 20, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is, and this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of the, His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in us and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. All right, so there's going to be two sets of four things. All right, two sets of four things. The first four are review. The next four are today's stuff. Here's the first four. And all these first four come from verses 19 through 22. 19 through 22. And these are just some, some notes about assurance. These are some things you need to know about assurance. Um, and we can see it in verse 20. Where he says, For whenever our heart condemns us, needing reassurance is a normal Christian experience. Um, some of you may feel bad about need. I just feel bad. Like I'm supposed to know that I'm a Christian and I need to just live in that and trust in that. And Like if I ever doubt, then I, I need to feel bad about that. Like I'm, not a, I'm, I'm kind of a low Christian, not one of the good Christians, um, as if there is something like that. Um, and, and you just need to think to yourself, I'm, I'm horrible. Like why do I need this? And so what we want to see here is, for whenever our heart condemns us, sometimes we need assurance. And this is a normal Christian experience. All right? You all need it. I need it. We all need to know that we're in the faith. The next one came out of verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemns us, we have confidence before God. You can have confidence before God. He has that. So um, another note about assurance is that... Um, it's not a wrong thing to have confidence before God. Like, you think that's arrogant. How can I have confidence? Because you're not marching in front of God based on your work. Look at all the things I've done for you, God. I'm coming up to you because I'm so good. You are approaching humbly the throne of God only based on the work of Jesus. His work on the cross is so sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins that you can come to Him with confidence. As a matter of fact, God wants you to know that you can come to Him confidently. And I said, the illustration I gave that um, three weeks ago was 
whenever I first started officing at my house, my children would come bang on the door. I've got four children. My two-year-old and four-year-old just come bang on the door while I'm trying to, you know, in my holies of holies, trying to study to be able to preach God's Word. They just bang on the door, they open it up, and they come right in there and they sit down right in my lap like they own the place. How confident is that? And I'm, but that's the confidence we have. Just the way a child would come to their father. That's how God wants you to come to Him. You can come, and you're not coming based on your own merits. You're coming solely based on the work of Christ on the cross for your forgiveness of every single one of your sins because His cross is sufficient. So that was the next one. And the next one um, comes from verse 19. Uh, it says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts. Um, the next thing is that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. I think I went out of order here. I think I did. Yep, I did. All right, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Um, and that, when I say preach the gospel to yourself, um, that's just not also preaching like Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But why is there no condemnation? Why is there no condemnation? Because Jesus has died for us. So we, um, the gospel, a lot of times we think, when we say the word gospel, if you've been in church a long time, um, especially in in really evangelistic churches, um, which evangelism is not awful. It's great. Evangelism is awesome. So I want to say I, I wholly concur with that. But sometimes whenever we're in churches where everything's evangelistic, we hear the word gospel and we think that's just for the unbelievers. Like unbelievers need to hear the gospel. And they do. Absolutely. But just as much as an unbeliever needs to hear the gospel, every single believer needs to remind themselves of the gospel. When we say gospel, we just mean good news of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for you, that you are a sinner. Um, you have willfully chosen to, to go against His glory. God's command is, you should live for my glory. And you don't. And I don't. None of us do. And whenever we don't, His wrath is against us because we've willfully chosen to go against Him. And what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus is someone has come and lived that perfect life. Someone has come and lived for God's glory every moment. And if we put our faith in him, then we can have all of his righteousness given to us and all of the wrath that we should have gotten was put on him for us. And so we get the righteousness. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. What that means, and when an unbeliever hears that, they're like, and whenever I heard that, that's amazing. I want that. Please, let me have that. I, I feel the weight of the sin. I want Jesus. I'm, I'm trusting in His work. I want Christ to come in my life and the Holy Spirit to live and guide me. But what we need to know is, as believers, we need to hear that. We need to remind ourselves as Christians, all of His righteousness has been put on me. All of the wrath that I deserve was put on Him. I'm no longer needing to be punished for the sin I do. It, it's very important that whenever we think about it, this in, in terms of assurance. Like I feel bad because of my sin. All of the of this, uh, wrath of God was put on Jesus for you. You don't need to feel bad. Yes, you need to not, not like it. Yes, you need to want to put it to death. But you don't need to say, I'm now condemned because of my sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Romans 8.1 says. And so we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Um, the last little note I wanted us to see about assurance came out of verse 22 um, when talking about this confidence and 22 says and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him but I wanted to note first highlight that part where it says whatever we ask we receive so the fourth thing was feeling condemned um, and having confidence either one or the other you know whether you're having confidence before God or whether you're feeling condemned as a Christian um, 
whatever mode you're in affects your prayer life. Because he says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. We're not going to go ask when we're feeling condemned. However, when we have confidence, we're going to feel way more likely to go ask. So it's going to affect us negatively or positively. These are just some notes about assurance. You need to know when you're not feeling assured, it will affect your prayer life. It will affect it. Um, so this, role, this brings us into verse 23. Um, and what I want to do here, um, that was some stuff about assurance. This is four signs to actually start being able to reassure your heart. Four signs to reassure your heart. Some things that you need to see present in your life. And if these things are in your life, then you can say, all right, that's in my life. I have assurance of salvation. And on the other side, I don't see that. That should give me pause. That should give me reason to stop and reflect. My goal here, don't, don't misunderstand this. My goal here is not to make you feel like you're not a Christian and doubt and cry and get real emotional and have some emotional experience where you just, re, you know, I'm rededicating again. That's not my, my idea. That's not my goal at all. My goal is to let you see the scriptures so you can have assurance of salvation. And if you don't see these things, that you would give real thought towards it. I don't want to emotionally charge you up and get you all crazy. I want you to think, all right, this is his word. These are the things that should be present in my life. There's four. Um, There could be more. This is what the text shows us. If I don't see any of these things in my life, that gives me reason to kind of stop and reflect on if I am in the faith, maybe I'm still just a baby in the faith. And it's time to start getting it going. It's time to start picking up some stuff. It's time to start um, living as a more mature follower of Christ. Because I think in the end, like we all know, um, if we're Christians, that we want to be more mature. I don't think anybody would say, no, 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 I'm fine being a baby. Put me in a little, um, in a little carrier. Let my daddy, you know, my spiritual daddy carry me around and give me the milk whenever I need it. I don't want to stay a baby the rest of my life. I don't think any of us are going to say that. Um, I think we all want to be mature in our faith because that gives us far more opportunity to be used by God for his glory to see other people come to Christ. Um, Far more opportunity, not that babies can't be. All right, here we go. There's four things. And um, what I want you to know about these four things are number one and two will go together. They're coupled together. Um, One and two are together. And the same thing with three and four. Three and four kind of go together, but they're four distinct things. um, And one and two and three and four work together. All right, Uh, let's look at verse 23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Went up to the next column, sorry. And we believe in the name of his son, Jesus. All right, so here's the first one. Here's the first thing that needs to be in our life. And if this is in our life, then this gives us assurance. There is present belief. There's present belief in the name of his son, Jesus there's present belief. This, this is um, something that, there's a book called Systematic Theology, written by Wayne Grudem. It's kind of a thick book, and he just kind of talks about the doctrines of, of God and, and explains them out. And one of them, and he's talking about his, his chapter of, system, of um, assurance of salvation. Um, one of the things that he says we can have is, ask ourselves, is, do I have present trust in Christ for salvation? Whenever I need to know, am I a Christian? Do I have present trust in Christ? There are some people who maybe were Christians for a while, and whenever they had uh, faith in Christ, they left the faith. And so they may have had past trust in the work of Christ for their salvation, but they didn't have present trust. Now, I don't think you can lose your salvation. The answer to that is they never had faith. 
They never had faith. They never trusted Christ. We can see that. We've already read that in chapter 2 of of 1 John. Chapter 2, 19, uh, when it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So they looked like they were Christians. They smelled like they were Christians. They act like they were Christians. They did the work of Christians. But in the end, they left. It even seemed like they they had trust in Christ. But then it says, But they went out that it might become plain that they're not of us. So, do I have present trust in Christ? So anytime you have doubt, you ask yourself, all right, Jesus spent his life living a perfect life, lived for Christ, and he um, went to the cross for us for our salvation. Do I still presently believe that his work on the cross is the thing that forgives me? It's the thing that gives me right standing with God. That all of his righteousness has been given to me. Do I... Do I believe and do I trust in Jesus Christ right now for my salvation and my salvation alone and Him alone? Is there present trust in Christ? That's the first thing. Um, there is a Puritan syllogism. And what that just means is a, if this is true, if this is true, then this, this thing is true. It's just a way to remember it. And this, this, is, um, this is, I think, somewhat helpful. I heard Albert Moeller, he's the president of a seminary up in Kentucky, say this. And it sounds a little bit funny at first, but... It's, it's really good. I think it's really good. It's really simple. Um, God requires faith in Jesus to be a Christian. That's number one. God requires faith in Jesus to be a Christian. I have faith in Jesus. That's number two. Therefore, I am a Christian. God requires faith in Jesus to be a Christian. I have faith in Jesus. Therefore, I'm a Christian. I mean, it's pretty simple. Um, it's not meant to trick your mind to know whether you're a Christian. Like, am I in? Am I out? I don't know. It's all fuzzy. It seems so complicated. Um, while the gospel is simple, it doesn't mean it's simplistic. It doesn't mean that there's not multi-layers of just amazement as you're in the faith. You're like, wow, Jesus is awesome. Amazing how God is so big and there's so much to this. But at the same time, it's so simple. Trust in Jesus and His work on the cross and you will be saved. So is there right now present trust this belief in jesus is absolutely essential to everything um belief in the gospel is the only way we can live the life that god has called us to live um and here's an interesting thing right here right here where it says and this is the commandment that we believe in the name of son jesus um so far in this letter john has not used that word believe this is the first time that he uses the word believe or the word faith um in the letter and of course he will later All right, so here's the second one. Let's go to uh, 23. It says, And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus, and, look what it says, love one another just as He has commanded us. Love one another. Now, we've talked about this throughout this book, but here's the second indicator. Here's the second thing to know that you're in the faith. That you have for one another, you have love for one another. That you care and that you have affections, real deep affections for people. They're not your project just to make yourself feel better. You're not just working on them because you feel like that's going to make your ego better. Like you have real love, deep affections for other people. When we see that present in our life, we can have assurance. That's something that should be happening in our life. We should have present trust in Christ for our salvation, and we should have love for one another. Um, Now, when I say that, Loving God is not omitted. Like, I didn't say, 
you have to love God. I just said you have to love one another. It's not omitted, but absolutely assumed. Like if we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus, it's assumed that we also are going to have love affections for God. Brotherly love um, flows out of love for God. Here's what I mean by that. Um, You can't fulfill the second greatest commandment without having filled the first greatest commandment. You can't love your brothers without having first loved God. You can't love your neighbor as yourself unless you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. And being able to love your brothers flows out of a love for God. Does that make sense? So um, you have a present trust, a present love for one another. You have a present trust and love for one another. So that's the second thing. Now let's go down to verse 24. It says, whoever, and, and just to remind you, number one and two go together. Believing in the name of the Son of the Lord Jesus helps you love one another. So you can see the connection between one and two. Now we're going to see a kind of a connection between three and four. Look at verse 24. Whoever loves, I'm sorry, whoever keeps his commandments abides in him. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him. I bet you can guess this third one. It's pretty obvious. All right, the third thing that shows, or the third indicator that you are in the faith, that you can assure yourself of salvation in your life is you are keeping his commandments. Keeping his commandments. Um, his commandments are given to us not as uh, burdensome restrictions, but as loving guidelines. Uh, this is the, maybe the worst illustration, but it helps me still. So um, I'm sorry for it, but I think it's good. Um, it, every time I think of commandments, I think this is, this is a great way to think about it. Um, some people look at commandments as just these, these big lists of rules of things we can't do, and they're just, you know, the, the big killjoy, and I hate all these things. And, and we're supposed to think of them as these things are giving to us so that they protect us. They show us the right way. They're, they're, they're showing us how to live a life that's most protected. And so you go to a pool, and when you go to a pool, there's like 20 laws, you know, that you can't do at the pool. Don't run, don't whatever, don't dive, da, da, da. There's, there's, you know, all these rules. And we think we would never go up to them and say, oh, no diving in the shallow end. That's such a killjoy. You know, we don't yell at the, but the reason why all these things are here is so that we don't jump or dive into or drown or kill ourselves or whatever. Like pool rules are given to us for our protection. It's the same thing with the law of God. I mean, th- these laws are given to us so that we can have a life that glorifies Jesus, that protects us from sin, that keeps us from um, jumping into sin so far deep that we can't even pull ourselves out. We're just, it's, it's, a, it's a thing around us that keeps us, it's a hedge. You know, it's a hedge. It's a hedge of protection. Um, I know that's a brutal illustration, but it always helps me to think those rules are not things that I should rebel against and think that are awful and things like that. So when we, when we say we need to keep His commandments, we need to keep His commandments, we want to look at the things that are, that are given to us in the Bible. There's plenty of commandments. Now, there comes confusion sometimes whenever we confuse commandments with other things. But commandments are, are just, do this. You need to be doing this. They're, they're all throughout the New Testament, as well in the Old Testament. And, and there's a big discussion on how many commandments are, what, or how free are we from the law in the Old Testament. And we can talk about that later. But just, if you want to talk about that, just go over to the New Testament then. And just read how many times where it says, you need to do this. You need to do that. And follow those. If you, you're one of the, we're free from the law. I know that we're free from the law of the, New, of the Old Testament. Um, but there's still commandments that we're supposed to walk in and abide by. And if we're, if we're not doing that, if we see ourselves not wanting to live under the commandments of God, then that's another indicator that we're, we're, not, we're not Christians. So we want to have assurance so we can look at ourselves and say, 
Am I keeping his commandments? Um, there's a commentator, he lived about 500 years ago. He said this, Our union cannot be fruitless or without effect whenever it begins to exist. Our union with, with Christ cannot be fruitless or without effect whenever it begins to exist. Meaning, you can't become a Christian and do nothing for Jesus. You can't become a Christian and just bear no fruit. You can't become a Christian and just not keep His commandments. All Christians will keep His commandments and bear fruit. So, we're keeping His commandments. Alright, here's the fourth one. Go to verse 24. Um, Whoever keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in them, and this this is one of the greatest means of assurance. And by this we know that He abides in us. Now, how does Jesus abide in us? Here it is. By the Spirit whom He has given us. So here's the fourth one. Um, I bet you can guess it. (laughs) Um, The Holy Spirit is abiding in you. The Holy Spirit is abiding in you. There is something other than yourself living in you. Jesus says um, in John 14 and 16, the disciples are talking to Him, and He's like, hey, I've got to go away. I have to leave. Like, I'm here now, but I'm going to die, and then I'm going to ascend. And you want me to ascend. You want me to leave. And they're like, no, we don't want you to leave. Oh, yes, you do. Because when I leave, the Helper's coming. That's the Holy Spirit. He calls him the Helper. When He comes, it's going to be great. Like, He is going to live inside of you. You are going to have God Himself in you, leading you and guiding you and taking you into truth and, and convicting you of sin and showing you how to live a righteous life. God Himself in you. And so, this is another assurance that we know without a shadow of a doubt there is the presence of God Himself inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit abiding in us. Um, and this is pretty interesting, I think. In this, verse, in this uh, book so far, this is the first explicit mention of the Holy Spirit. Over in chapter 2, He called Him the anointing or the, anoint, the anointed one. Um, but here he actually calls him the Holy Spirit, and then he will refer to him by name again. Uh, looks like four two, four six, four thirteen, five six, five. So he, he keeps mentioning by name. But here he starts here, and so in this middle of I'm wanting you to know that you have assurance, he he gives him a, he calls him the Spirit, and then he starts talking about him the rest of the time. So we know that we're in the faith when we have this presence of the Holy Spirit in us, guiding us, leading us into truth, convicting convicting us of our sin. Um, showing us the effects of abiding in Him. The, uh, the same commentator was commenting again on this, and he says, whatever good works are done by us, um, keeping His commands, bearing fruit, telling people about Jesus, leading, uh, or going to a homeless person and feeding them, all the good things you can do. Um, whatever fruits, whatever good works are done by us, they proceed from the grace of the Holy Spirit, and that the Spirit is not obtained by our righteousness. Meaning, um, whenever we do good works, we're not obtaining the Holy Spirit with our good works. Like, I did another good work. I'm going to get a little bit more Holy Spirit. God's going to help me out. It's, okay, I'm going to do a good work, and it's because the Holy Spirit at conversion has come into me, and since the Holy Spirit's come into me, He's going to proceed and work through me to do the good works. I mean, it's a huge distinction to know that. It's not that you're obtaining. And the thing is, is that that, that Holy Spirit that was given to us at salvation was freely given to us. We didn't earn it. He gave it to us freely. It's the free gift of salvation. And whenever we have that, 
we have Him now guiding us, helping us do the good works. So you can see how 3 and 4 go together. The Holy Spirit keeping His commandments. Those work together. We're going to keep His commandments because we have the Holy Spirit. We're going to bear good fruit because we have the Holy Spirit. Um, it's absolutely essential to know that we have the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to end with some practical things for us today on the Holy Spirit so we can have an idea of what this means. Because sometimes it's tricky to know. Sometimes it's tricky to know, um, is the Holy Spirit in me or not? Is it just me um, forcing myself to do these good things? Or is there a presence, an alien presence? Is there something else in me um, guiding me and helping me do these things in my life? So I want to give you uh, five practical ways. And this is from a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He lived about 100 years ago in England. Uh, Five practical ways you can know the Holy Spirit is in your life. Five practical ways. Um, The first one is we become aware of a power dealing with us and working within us. Let me read. He, he has texts that he uh, cites whenever he gives these things. So let me, let me read the text to you. This is Philippians 2. He says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. This is Paul talking to the Philippians and saying, I'm not with you, but you're obeying. And I'm glad that you're obeying. And then he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that just sounds like you got to do it. But look what he says right after that. He says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we know that we have God working inside of us. We feel this power in us. So a good practical way to know the Holy Spirit is in us is that we become aware of this power working in us and causing us to do things. The next one he says is this. um, We find ourselves taking interest in spiritual things. Non-Christians will take interest in spiritual things, but it's, it's, it's a different reason and it's in a different way. Listen to what Romans 8.5 says. Um, he says this, Paul, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is present in your life, you have a continual desire to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You're thinking about God. You're trying to um, understand Him more. And from that knowledge of Him, that understanding of Him more, you're wanting to change your life. You're wanting to say, okay, if He says I shouldn't do this particular thing, or His character is like this, it's holy, then I am supposed to, based on the fact that He's holy, want to live a holy life. So you're constantly trying to set your mind on spiritual things. The next one is this. Um, we are convicted for our sin. If there's, if there's the Holy Spirit living inside us, there is a conviction of sin in our life. This is John chapter 16, verse 8. This is what he says. And this is that conversation I was telling you Jesus had with his disciples when he says, I need to go and you want me to go. And he talks about what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And this is what he says in John 16, 8. He says, when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So whenever you feel conviction of sin, whenever you, you do something wrong and all of a sudden, and man, it's just been killing me lately. Like I have had a, an abundance of Holy Spirit working on me over the last couple months of conviction of sin lately. Um, but that's good and that's painful. You know, I say, some people say, that's bad, I don't like it. Well, yeah, I don't like it. I mean, clearly... Showing you how wretched you are is not a very fun thing, but it's good. Like, if I want to have assurance of salvation, I think, well, why would an unbeliever ever feel that? 
Why would someone who doesn't want to walk with Jesus and follow him feel conviction of sin? They might feel bad. And I'm not talking about feeling bad for getting caught or just feeling bad for hurt. I'm talking about conviction of sin. Um, I, I, don't, I feel bad whenever I sin against people, but there's also within me a, a conviction or a, a desperation of emotions that I have sinned against God. I've done something against my Creator. Christians feel that. The Holy Spirit puts that in their heart. You have sinned against the Creator. And I'm thankful for it because it gives me assurance of salvation. Of course, it, it makes me sad. And I want to change. But um, it gives me joy to know that I'm in the faith. All right, here's the next one. The, the fourth way we can know that the Holy Spirit's work inside of us is that we see the fruits of the Spirit. We see the fruits of the Spirit. And this is from Galatians. Um, we're in chapter 5. Let me, let me read Galatians chapter 5 to you. The way I remember it is GEPCO, GE Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's Bible drill back in the day. Um, Galatians chapter 5, um, verse 22, 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. So if I have the Holy Spirit in my life, the fruit of the Spirit is this. Like the Holy Spirit is, is doing these things in me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we start seeing those things happening in our life. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so when we have those things in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we know that that's, that's God Himself doing these things in my life. When we see a lack of those things, well, that gives us reason to pause and maybe repent of sin or ask ourselves, am I in the faith here? Like, if I am constantly impatient with my children and wife, well, then that's, that's places I need to repent. But it also should give me a pause and say, all right, I'm supposed to be becoming more like Jesus in this walk of faith. If you um, are always unloving, you're never joyful, you're never gentle, you never have self-control, um, these are reasons that we should stop and say, well, this isn't good. This isn't good. I need to think about this. Ask myself if I'm still just a baby Christian and I refuse to grow. You know, it's like a 35-year-old being carried around in, in a baby carrier. It, that's, that's unheard of. No one does that. You don't change 35-year-old men's diapers. You need, to, you need to grow up in your faith if you're a baby still and you've been a Christian for a long time. Or you're not a Christian. Um, here's the last one. The fifth thing that is uh, practical advice, practical ways we can know that the Holy Spirit is present in our lives. Um, he bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God and we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8. Again, Romans 8. Um, I would just encourage you all to memorize Romans 8. It's absolutely amazing. Romans eight fifteen and 16 says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So whenever you got saved, there, the spirit of slavery which keeps you wanting to do sin doesn't reside in you anymore. A, a, a fear to, to be afraid. It says this. You didn't receive a, fear, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of, a, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the, the Spirit coming inside of you is giving you this desire, um, much like my children, to just cry out to their Father. I need you. Abba, Father, Daddy, 
You are mine and I need you now. If those things aren't present in your life, then that's evidence. Um, so having assurance of salvation uh, is, a, is a good thing for us. We need to know those things because there are going to be times because of circumstances in our life, sin, uh, health issues, whatever. There could be things going on in your life where you're just like, I feel so distant. I feel like um, I don't have an ability to communicate with God anymore. It's like you go off in the mountains and there's no cell coverage and no Wi-Fi and nothing. And you can't talk to your family and you just feel like, I'm like on another planet here. And that's how you feel from God. You're like, I am so disconnected from community and from Jesus and from anything. I just don't even know anymore. And these are evidences that we can kind of bank. We can hang our hat on. Some handles we can grab on and say, okay, I do have it. The meaning here, the goal here is not to make you think you're not a Christian so that you need to become a Christian. Like if you're a Christian, then look for these things in your life and beg God for the things that you don't have to start happening in your life. Let me read you a quote, and we're going to conclude with this. Um, something we talked about last week is this. Uh, revelation and response. Revelation and response. Whenever God speaks to us in his word, we want to respond. We want to, we want to see these things happen in our life. Um, and so we want to respond appropriately. And w- the way we say is um, through worship. Whatever's going on in your life, if you um, just need to sit and pray and read for the scriptures for a while, then I just invite you to sit there and read and think and ask God and repent of sin. But if God is just overwhelmingly re- giving you rejoicing in the spirit and you're just so happy because of the gospel, because of Christ, just stand and worship with us. Um, God in his word reveals himself to us and we want to respond accordingly. So however the Holy Spirit is leading you, just just. Re- Respond according to that. Let me, let me close with this quote, and then we'll go into our time of worship. Cameron will come out here and, uh, and lead us in our time of worship. It says, these are the things that are necessary. Uh, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones kind of talking about these verses right here. Um, he says, these are the things that are necessary for you to reassure your heart, for you to get rid of condemnation, to give you confidence as a child of God. And above all, you have the assurance which is given alone by the Holy Spirit by his indwelling within you and by his life in your life, by Jesus's life in our life, his righteousness given to us. And in your very petitions and our prayers, um, what a glorious, wondrous thing this is. We come before him. We have audience with the king. We speak to the living God. Whenever we worship, we're worshiping him. Like he's our audience. He, we're not kind of like, standing here and you're watching Cameron sing and you're the audience and participating and sometimes you can stand. We're all together here with one voice singing out to Jesus, telling him he's worthy of praise, telling him we adore him for his work on the cross. We have an audience with the king and we're speaking to the living God. And he's giving us assurance even in worship. What a great God he is to, to grant to us these things even in our moments of doubt, even in our moments of... of um, kind of despair and feeling disconnected from him that he would do that let me pray and then we'll go into our time of worship lord i thank you so much for your word god i thank you that we can have assurance of salvation that we can know you um, through christ that we can live and walk with you and god i i know that sometimes there's times in our life where um we don't have this assurance we don't have um a confidence as john says a confidence we feel condemned. We feel there's no way that we can be saved because of the thoughts and the actions that we had last night. 
the thoughts and the actions that we did last week. But we know that these things are normal Christian experience. And these feelings aren't meant to condemn us and make us run away from you in despair. However, to preach the gospel to ourselves and run closer to you more. To run after you more deeply. To trust in you. God, I love you and I thank you for Jesus and his work on the cross, which makes all these things possible. God, I pray that you would, um, you would be with us now as we go into our time of response through song and worship. However and wherever we are, God, I pray that they would respond according to the Spirit, however you're leading. If there's anyone here that needs to know Jesus, that doesn't know Jesus, God, that they would talk to the person they came with, that they would come and talk to me now or afterwards. And Father, that we would, um, we would not leave this place without having conversation and prayer to give ourselves assurance of salvation. Be with us now as we worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.